Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. Guess who's back? Back, back. Hunter Biden. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think? I swear to God, I guarantee you there's somebody in the White House that works there. You know, the guy that actually probably doesn't care much one way or the other. He's just like really good at his job. He's doing his job. And every day he shows up and he's just like, fuck, I just hope there's not another Hunter email, <laughs> like a Hunter pick, like a dick pick. And it's just like him calculating his crack with with prostitutes and he's like oh shit damn it damn it hunter you never know what he's gonna do that man oh, it is really wild that man it's is a, a character it's a it's literally a jack-in-the-box you never know what's gonna pop out something yeah. every it's it's like a, a any day at any time something wild would really pop out and you just you're just not surprised anymore it's, it's kind of like when you have that crazy friend and you're out and you're like, just, nobody at the, nobody, nobody really test him today. He's just, you know, he's, he's off, off the cuff. Just don't get Frank too drunk. Frank's having get, a little, Frank's having a little problem at home. You don't want to get him too drunk. He's a little riled up. Yeah. He's the guy screaming at people when they're at the football game, just like aggressively yelling. Mm-hmm. Chill out, man. You're here with your kids. <laughs> Listen, you don't get it. Oh, Anyways. All right. All right, let's get back into it. Welcome back to Craft Advice, everyone. Apologize for the beginning rant. We were joking about some uh, Hunter Biden podcasts we listened to. But anyways, Sean, what's the beverage? What are you drinking? I have today a uh, nice little Rogue Hazy IPA Bat Swatch. Hmm. Nice little uh, little 6.7... Alcohol by volume, ABV, solid, citrusy, delicious. Very nice. I'm going with the uh, Sweetwater IPA, Mm. Hophead's Beery Dream, according to Beer Advocate. So, cheers, Sean. Cheers. I do love that the, uh, I love how wide, uh, I'm going to put a little crack in there. I love how mass market IPAs are now. I mean, literally. So quickly. It happened so quickly, too. It's like 10 years, 8 years. I don't know. They're everywhere. Do you remember in college, it was like you'd get Budweiser, Bud Light. <clears throat> That's about the extent of it. There's natty. Nothing else. We got Natty a lot. We got a lot of Natty. Yeah. That dog. You get some of that. You get some of that. But, but it was very rare. Yeah, no, you're right. It was very like that was at the beginning of the mass adoption phase of like the craft beers. It was just starting to like turn on. People were just starting to really get into them. Yeah, no, it's it's wild how far it's come in a short period of time. So let's let's start since we're on beer. Let's start with a quiz. See if you figure this one out. So we're yeah. drinking some sweet water. I've told you this before. Who owns Sweetwater? They are a public sweet, company. Sweetwater, sweetwater Brewing. Who owns them? Um, Anheuser Busch. Wrong. You're not going to mm. probably get this one. Is it this? It's not the same company that owns Heineken, is it? It is not. Nope. Okay. It is a very one-off constellation. Company. It's not constellation. Nope. Zero for three, Sean. Damn it! All right. Well, answer the question. Tilray, the medical oh, marijuana and cannabis right. company. 
Yeah. I forgot about that. I honestly remember listening to Tilray's CEO give a, an interview on CNBC when they purchased this. It's all coming back to me now. It's all coming back to me. I mean, they have their 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 uh, what is it, Sweetwater 420 that technically does smell like weed, and I bet that's the entire reason they bought it was no, well, it smells like it. Yeah, so, sure, this is a good idea. Uh, yeah. But no, Tilray, I remember they were interviewing him because obviously it was a big deal when it happened, and they were just getting smoked and. Nobody in Washington was even coming close to being like, yeah, we're going to legalize marijuana. And uh, the guy's like, basically, we need to do this to keep afloat because if not, we're going to go out of business. Dude, this this stock went from $23 to $220 in like three months and then has just flatlined. I'll give you an even worse statistic. When it first came out and everybody remember, remember in like the, the, the 2018 like medical marijuana boom everybody yep. like every company that came out that touched pot exploded and i remember this is what i this should have been a signal but i was at a um for those who don't know out there my wife and i we own some bridal source in uh, the north florida area but they uh, we were at a uh, we were at an event and we were talking to a designer and this designer's you know not the highest IQ guy, but super friendly, really nice person. And uh, and I'm listening to him talk to me, but, you know, he knows I'm in, he knows I'm in finance, I'm an advisor. And he's like, oh, man, oh, I just feel like all I have to do is just buy pot stocks. And it's just like, it's just, just set it and forget it. It's like I'm making money hand over fist. And that might have been close to the top of it because it was in October. Oh, geez, it really was at the peak. I'm pulling up the historic chart right yeah. now. It he was dying in, in front of you. <laughs> he literally died in front of my eyes. It was at the very peak of their existence, October of 2018. And since then, that gentleman has lost. If, unless he sold, which I hope he did. I haven't asked him. But he would hypothetically be down 98%. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, Lord. hey, that's a lot. Of, we're going to talk about a lot about that today, the high beta stuff, the high high fly companies. But high do you know what the... Do you know what the precursor to the 2018 weed bubble was? I'm gonna throw an old school one at back at you. Ooh. How about the 2013 3D printing bubble? You remember that bad boy? I do, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every it's like uh, someone made the first 3D printer, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, the stock's going up 10,000 percent." Yep. And not, not realizing it was going to take another 15 years to get the actual technology in place. <clears throat> yeah, I think if I had this right, 3D systems started like it had like a two percent return the first you know quarter of 2012 and then it went up like 900 mm percent -hmm, so mm -hmm. there's bubbles all the time they come they oh, go yeah. they come they go so anyways but let's get into today sean i know you wanted to start and we're going to do a pretty good topic into inflation today so i know there's a print coming tomorrow we're going to try to drop this so it's releasing as, as this coming as the print's coming out, but I think we're going to try to make some bets. I know if we went back to consumer price index, just going back to 2021, I mean, March of 2021, it was at 2%. March of 2022, it's at 8.5. It dipped to 8.26 in April and then spiked back up to 8.58. So, Sean, we're trying to figure out what do we think it's going to go? Are you going to be, are we getting a nine handle? I think oh, we get a nine thinking? handle. Yeah, I think we get a nine plus handle. I just the 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 level 
So, I mean, everybody has to remember that within CPI, the gross CPI data includes gas and all the stuff that it can be, it can absolutely be very volatile in short periods of time, more so than say car or, uh, you know, just any kind of durable good like washing machines and, you know, refrigerators and couches. Those things don't move in prices wildly as gas can. Um, but so when you keep in mind that those are obviously a big component of it and during the month of June, I mean, gas got over $5 a gallon nationally and has only recently started coming down in July. Um, I think it's a pretty sure bet that uh, we're going to be overnight. And then the other thing that I would add to that is that if you look at all the, the signaling and the, um, it's almost like, uh, what do you call it? I mean, it's, it's like they're breaking up with you, but like a little bit at a time, the White House, they're coming out. They're like, it's not going to be great. I don't know. You know, it's going to be a little, it's going to be a little, uh, you know, choppy, noisy. They keep throwing out these like phrases to let you know that it's going to suck. It's like, oh, inflation is going to be really noisy. Uh, you mean it's going to be really fucking high and it's going to suck. You guys are going to try to spin it in some like weird way. Oh, inflation's really good for you because, you know, it means the economy's doing so well and everybody's making more money and spending it. Um, no, yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be the nine, two area. Um, a lot of it's, a lot of it's going to be, that's my number nine, two. And I think a lot of that's going to be driven by energy, um, which has come down. So I think we're going to see a better July number, but at the end of the day, uh, the core, which is where they put more focus on because of, uh, for those out there who aren't aware, Core CPI or core inflation excludes food and fuel, which uh, for the average person, they don't care because at the end of the day, we all eat food and we all use fuel. So stripping those out is kind of nonsensical because we all use it, but it allows them to see it's kind of the, the, the price data that doesn't move as rapidly. Again, back to the, you know, how maybe housing data or maybe, you know, furniture or clothing, you know, kind of apparel, but whatever. The point is, is that things that don't move so wildly in price action. Yep. Yeah. I would, I guess to put this another way and I'm going to maybe just start playing the contrarian. Cause I feel like everyone's in the same camp. Yeah, everyone's in the, everyone's in the, uh, high beta stocks are going to go crazy. And I was getting a little, iffy last year and i think this year i'm starting to get to the point where it's like okay things are getting so cheap and everything's being priced like it's going out of business i'm wondering you know this is one of those there's a random discussion of like bad news could be good news yeah you you need terrible news to be terrible but bad news could be good so even if inflation ticked up slightly from where we're at or we're starting to hit a top so we went from 8.54 down to eight two, back to eight five. Maybe we'll duck down again and do another eight two, eight three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do the. I don't think we're gonna get a nine handle yet. I think we might have run the inflation price up quite high. I mean, it's Hopefully. obvious just looking at anything. Gas prices. I think that the for me the contra indicator is what's happening in retail right now. All the supply backlog, you had all these companies that were loading up and just buying everything they possibly could. Even I'm in the process of trying to rebuild a computer. And for the last three years, I wasn't able to get a graphics processor because everyone was mining crypto with them. So they went to like $3,000 a card. Now they're 
you know, barely a thousand bucks and they seem to be going down almost every week. So yep. I'm almost wondering if you're starting to see like a little bit of the cost tied up in the supply chain start to deflate. Now, again, you still have the, who knows what the hell is going on in Russia that escalates it further, but let's talk Sean about some of the consumer expectations and how maybe that might bleed over a little bit to either the market prices, something like that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, expectations are a massive forward indicator, right? Or a massive leading indicator. So when, when people are always like, you know, what do you look at? Or clients are like, you know, what do you guys look at to you know, kind of give you a gauge of what expectations are going forward because nobody can see the future. Um, you know, there's not one single thing, but what I would say is that there's a, a really good thing is consumer sentiment, right? CEO sentiment. Those are two very powerful things, but then more targeted is consumer sentiment around inflation. And so there was some survey data that came out, uh, I believe yesterday that had, uh, I mean, un unfortunately, not a very rosy picture for what the average consumer believes inflation is, right? Because the White House can come out all day long and say, well, inflation is going to be down to uh, 2% by the end of the year, and then we believe it'll be zero by next year. And it doesn't matter because if everybody else doesn't believe that, then they're not going to behave. They're going to behave a certain way. Um, and it kind of goes back to behavioral economics with this in that if everybody's expectations are X, they're going to behave a certain way. And everybody's expectations for inflation are that they expect it to be higher than they previously expected it to. Um, to put that another way is that people will be spending less money, most likely, right? I mean, again, nobody sees the future, but the reality of what these results mean are that most likely people will spend less because they are uncertain of what the future is, right? There's clouds on the horizon. Inflation could be higher. The economy could be weaker. Or maybe even if inflation's not higher, it just hasn't come down as quickly as, you know, a lot of the talking heads said it would. And that's what a lot of people anticipate is, it's not that inflation is going to be higher in three months or six months or 12 months from now, but it's going to be stickier. And it's going to be, la it'll, last, it'll last a lot longer than originally uh, expected for three months, six months, you know, 12, et cetera. And because of that, you're going to see that translate into consumer behavior, right? If you're a person that was about to purchase a home, but you think the economy could be in a recession in the next six months, you think inflation is going to be higher in the next six months, unless you're forced to buy a home because maybe a really great job opportunity and they're moving you to a new market, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, or some kind of family event, right? A parent or a loved one has to move in with you and you need more space and you can't make it work in your other accommodations, right? I mean, other barring those types of more extreme examples, if somebody's just like, hey, I'm making more money, I've got a little more cash, everything's going well, I want to upgrade our house, we want to add another thousand square feet or maybe move closer to the water or to a better school district or whatever, they don't, there's no there's no uh, catalyst that's forcing them to do that. And, and if anything, I would say it's the opposite. There's more things that are preventing them from doing that with inflation and outlook on the economy. And so that translates into a big, because, you, you know, like you and I talked about earlier, right? GDP, 70% of that is comprised of the consumer. So consumer yeah. spending. And a big core piece of that consumer spending is, is homes, right? So 
If somebody goes out and buys a new home, they've got to buy new furniture, possibly upgrade the appliances. They're bringing in somebody else to, you know, repaint the home. So there's a trade that they're paying directly. Maybe they're going to fix fence, you know, some of the patchwork in the fences or you know, whatever it is. The point is, is that a home is such a multiplier effect in the economy because that translates into so many other jobs, so many other trades and professions um, that, that it's that's why it was such a big detriment, you know, a big kind of punch in the face in 2008-9 when the housing collapse happened the way that it did because it touches so many different other areas yep. of the economy. Yeah. And I think I, w I wouldn't, but we've been kind of tossing this back and forth, but I wouldn't get overly worried, <clears throat> especially if you have a longer time horizon, because most people are investing for decades. Even if you're retired, you still have to invest for decades because well, sure, investing for a year or two, you should still be in the market. But at the end of the day, something that's always crucial is a lot of these economic components lag what's actually happening in the market. And a good chart Sean and I were kicking around is in 2008, when we really had a large financial crash, market bottomed in March of 2009, but it started to fall back in 2007. So from 2007 all through 2008, the market fell. Now, Something to note is, you know, even looking at the S and P 500 may not be the ideal thing for investors. So if if you were looking at, okay, I invest everything on March of 2009. Hey, I bought the low. Well, some of the technology companies, so Amazon actually bottomed, and most tech stocks bottomed in November of 2008. So you actually had almost six months of returns, where once this S and P bottomed which is March of 2009, Netflix was already up 100% from its bottom. Amazon was up over 70. The only large companies, so really, you know, things like Costco, Walmart, most of them kind of bottomed around the same area, but it's very possible depending on how you're invested. You know, the market might not mean what your portfolio is doing. And if you're diversified or if you got tied up in the high beta tech stocks from 2021, you may be seeing a bottom. I mean, there's only so far these companies can fall before Investors are going to rush in and buy them all back up. But again, it, it's all based on these, I guess it's all news-based. The news starts running, the news starts moving, then things will start going crazy. But anyways, something yeah, more no, crazy. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like you and I talked about, right? I mean, it's like whoever leads on the way down oftentimes leads on the way up. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, a lot of times it's tech, but it, it doesn't always have to be tech. Um, you know, it's kind of whatever... Whatever gets beaten up the most in that cycle, um, that particular cycle was definitely tech and financials. Um, tech led the way up. Uh, financials took a long time, and they're just really starting to get around the bend. But that's more of a uh, separate issue with zero rates for a dozen years. Yep, yep. <laughs> hard, to make, hard to make money as a bank if you're forced to uh, lend at basically zero. That's very true. Very, very true. But let's talk about banks. Let's talk about banks. Let's talk about banks between the U.S. and Europe because now they're Ooh. actually on parity. That's pretty interesting. You know, yeah, so... so uh, whoa, whoa, side note. Go ahead. Pause, please. Pause. Pausing. 2020, after I got married, when my wife and I were trying to go over to France and we started looking at like the conversion rate and we're like, damn, we're going to really have to, I think it was like a buck 20 at the time dollar yeah. convert over to the Probably euros. Probably like a dollar 25. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it gets expensive to convert over there. And it's not very rare that you're able to take $1 and convert it to one euro. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should be currency traders, Sean. Maybe we shouldn't be in this business. I mean, it's not the worst idea. Uh, but what I, would, <laughs> what I would add is that we haven't been on parity for the euro and believe it's a little over 20 years. I'll tell you exactly so this, in a second here. This is a pretty incredible thing that's happened that nobody's realizing. And the irony of all this, the, the sad irony of all this is that a lot of it's due to Europe's, you know, hawkish position towards uh, Russia and, and basically what's going on with the Russia-Ukraine stuff uh, has created an, a massive energy crisis and has weakened their economy to the point where basically you know, currency guys are dumping euros. They're just dumping euros in droves. Um, and Europe is so indebted that they really can't raise rates the way that, uh, you know, I mean, we've started raising rates and we're extremely indebted, but we've got a more unique position in the global marketplace, obviously being world reserve currency. The euro is in a position where if they do that, they would, they would have a much more uh, detrimental impact on their economy. And so they're almost... Their hands are tied, and so they just have to slowly watch the euro sink unless they want to raise rates, which they won't do. Uh, so they're in a rock and a hard place. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure what's going what's gonna to cause the, uh, the euro to bottom. I don't know. But what I could see is that because there's been a you – know, everybody's always been talking about, especially in the crypto community, that, you know, Bitcoin is eventually going to be the, you know, the king currency in the globe, it's going to take over the dollar, it's going to take over everything. That may happen at some point, you know, I don't know. But what I would say is that it's far more likely that it takes over the euro. Uh, or the euro possibly disbands, and then that currency block goes away. And then you have countries that basically peel off and start adopting uh, Bitcoin as a, as, a, uh, as a standard. It's working for El Salvador. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sometimes... Being first doesn't always mean being best. What's the what's the old saying? It's, first in the door gets shot in the face. That's it. First in the door gets shot in the face. Second one at least gets to. It's, you know, work it's way in. sometimes it's it's tough to leave, Jack. It's tough to leave. Uh, but I will say this: I have zero doubts in my mind that that El Salvador will be at a much better financial position than nearly every country in Latin America in the next ten years. Yeah. They're all, I mean, every one of the currencies in Latin America are on rocky footing at best. So if nothing else, if the technology and the currency itself just continues to be adopted from it, just a pure, hey, this is a technology, this is kind of that new wave of the internet. Uh, there's actually some, there's some really interesting uh, podcasts that Mark Andreessen's been doing recently. Uh, he did one on Rogan, but he did another one on the unbanked. Uh, which is another interesting uh, crypto podcast. Uh, but he basically describes the growth of crypto and Web3 and all that stuff as almost identical to what happened with Web1 and the, the boom of the internet. And he was like the same people and the same governing bodies who basically came out and said that we, you know, the internet's bad for these reasons or cryptography or encryption uh, in the internet is bad for these reasons are the same people that are basically coming out against Bitcoin and 
and just the overall Web3 in crypto space. Yeah. So I think it's pretty interesting. But yeah, the euro is on parity. So interesting, if you compare the exchange rate, euro to US yep. dollar, yep. and then you kind of overlay it with just the the stocks 50, which is basically the S&P 500 of Europe, it's almost yep. like a mirror image. So their, their stock market, as it's just been slowly imploding over time, mm -hmm. pretty much, I mean, it's been a dead place to invest. Here's a good one, Sean. Since 2002, what's the total return, total return in the stocks 50? All right, so guys, that means that we have to take into consideration dividend reinvestment. <laughs> uh, so total return since 02, last 10 years, stocks 50. With, mm, I'll give it to you. No, 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 no. With dividend, with, you know, obviously total return. I mean, I'm going to say a, an even 7%. So it's actually with dividends, because most of the stuff over there is kind of banks. It's like 150, reasonable. okay. okay. Okay, but if okay. you did not reinvest, it's a 30% return over almost 20 okay. years. So it's like almost, okay. almost a money market return over that time period. So it's been pretty yeah, it's, it's really, really shitty. Um, I hate investing in Europe. I don't really. I think, I think it's terrible. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon either, especially now that the euro is going to parity. <clears throat> These guys yeah. are in trouble. These guys are in trouble. I love yeah. how it's hilarious for the last 20 years. This is kind of sidebar but it still has to do with Europe and how they run their, you know, conglomerate. Um, they've said for the last 20 years that nuclear is not green energy. And it's <clears> bad <throat> and all these things. And then out of nowhere, they're like, well, we need energy really bad. Uh, never mind. Nuclear is green. It's green. green. <laughs> it's green. We changed our mind. The science has changed. There's been a new discovery. We will take whatever we can. <laughs> they're they're going to be oh, so I was listening to this podcast talking about they're going to be burning the type of coal that they produce over there or I guess the one that's most prevalent most economical uh, they are saying is actually more dirty than regular coal hmm. and they're saying it's uh, it's lighter it or maybe it's dirtier because it requires more of it to get the same type of uh, energy output but it's a lighter it's less dense it's more similar to wood almost um, but yeah they're basically have come full circle to where they went from dirty energy to attempts at clean energy to ignoring certain types of clean energy, forcing themselves to be relying on one country who they then, you know, get in a dispute with, and now they're cut off and they're forced back into dirty energy and even dirtier energy. Yeah. The yeah. irony of it all. It's pretty good. Very strange. Very strange. Well, either way, folks, what we're saying is that inflation is uh, likely to be higher. But at the end of the day, you know, focus on the long term, always know why you're invested, what your objectives are, et cetera. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of uh, the scarier parts of the market will likely lead our, lead us out first. Um, and when it's all said and done, this is a great time if you're in a comfortable position, you've got a little bit of cash or you're in a job where you don't have to be so overly concerned with what the economy looks like tomorrow. You've got some stability um, and you've got some cushion in your budget. Maybe increase those contributions to your 401k, making sure you're saving a little bit more, making sure you're investing a little bit more because the market's down pretty significantly. All right. Yeah. What's next, Jack? What do you got? Um, I don't know. I'm try I think the only other thing I'm interested in is just what happens with Elon and Twitter. 
I was listening yeah. to someone this morning kind of bat this around CNBC, and the discussion was, I've never heard a case where someone's been forced to buy something. You know, yeah. it's just, yeah. I don't know. It seems very strange. No, it's, uh, I think it's incredibly strange, but uh, the best. What do you think? I was going to say the best, uh, the best piece on it that I've seen has just been a meme. <laughs> it's that meme where it's like, at first they didn't want me to buy Twitter. And then at set, and then the second one was like, then I told them I would only buy it if they would let me examine the box or whatever it was. Then, yep. or, 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 then they didn't let me examine the bots. And now I told them I didn't want to buy Twitter. Now they're forcing me into court, in which case they have to disclose all this information about the bots. Because it all, it all centers on his, his belief that it's a much larger number than 5% because that's what they've, they've put out there in their uh, 10Qs and 10Ks for the last decade or so is that roughly 5% of the uh, platform or bots or not, you know, fake accounts, but uh, Elon's position is that it's a far larger number. And at the end of the day, he makes a great point. Why buy a company for $44 billion when it could be 10%, could be 15, could be 20% is completely fake. It's not yeah. real. It's not real. It's not adding value to it. If anything, it's just detracting value. Um, and so his objective is just to let's do a, an honest accounting of the, you know, of who's on the platform. And see what that number looks like. And they apparently were very uh, challenging with getting that information from. So he was backing away from the deal. Now they're going to sue him. But part of the lawsuit going to court, they're going to be required to bring that information and prove that that's not the case. So either way, I mean, I don't see a scenario where he really loses. It's just start to finish. It's just a weird scenario. I mean, you're stuck in. I don't know if you saw what Elon tweeted, but he had a picture of himself that was <laughs> basically trying to explain he wanted to get the bot numbers. They wouldn't give him the bot numbers. He backed out the yeah. deal. They want to sue him, take him to court. Now he's, they're going to legally have to give him the bot numbers. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Overall, that's, it's just, it's a really weird scenario from start to finish. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That, that, that meme that he tweeted out that you're talking about, that's the best piece that I've seen on this whole shenanigans because that's basically what's going on and the irony of it all. Is it whoever is running that silly ass company? I don't know if they don't realize that, or if uh, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't understand what their logic would be behind not giving that information, and then taking the court knowing that they have to give them that information now. Yeah, and if they give them that information in court, and it's obviously much larger than the five percent, then they're not likely to win their loss. They're not going to force them to buy it if it's materially larger than that initial amount. But yeah, no, I think uh, it's a pretty uh, a pretty entertaining volley back and forth between uh, the Twitter board and, and Elon. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. Overall, very concerned, I mean, it's just, it's, this is what I guess we're, we're, we're stuck with. There's nothing else on TV, politics <laughs> are a disaster. All right, put your tinfoil hat on for one second here. All right, secure. I get, I get, I get, I get twenty seconds of tinfoil. Okay. And my belief is that there are government agencies and entities that have large bot farms. 
I'm telling you, I guarantee it's going to come out. Or maybe it's not going to come out. Then it's just none of the bot information. It's literally going to be like the bot information is all like subpoenaed, but it never comes out. It's like the, the, the how do you say her name? Gazelle? Giselle? Giselle, Levine? yep. Giselle? Max, Maxwell? Whatever. Oh, Gislaine like, or whatever the hell it Gislaine, is. Gislaine. That's what I'm trying to say. Gislaine. The pedo list. It's like the pedo list. It'll never come out. It's never going to happen. I don't. I think that's more likely to happen is that the bot data actually never comes to light than, than anything else. Similar to uh, Gislaine Maxwell's pedo list. Yeah. That's never coming to light either. So what you're saying is someone involved in this in Elon Twitter thing is going to get Epstein'd. Epstein, yeah, somebody's going to accidentally fall down a flight of stairs or potentially uh, commit suicide because they were really sad with their uh, lovely, wealthy, affluent, perf- you know, powerful life. There we go. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. We'll see. You heard it here, folks. All right, Sean, wrap us up. All right, everybody. We, uh, we've got some big numbers coming out tomorrow. Inflation, I think it's going to be plus nine. Jack thinks it's going to be less than. We'll see. Uh, but obviously, those are very important pieces of data to uh, keep in mind when you're looking at long term where the market's going. But when it's all said and done, um, you know, focus on what your situation is, what's important to you, why you're investing. Obviously, i.e., retirement, you're young, or you know, maybe you're not that young and you're kind of middle aged. But the point is, is if retirement's more than 10 plus years away. Little things don't need to be uh, driving your investment decisions. But they're still important to be aware of, and uh, and that's what we're trying to cover in the light with you guys with today. So hopefully this was helpful. We touched on some of that stuff around the euro coming back in parity with the dollar, uh, what kind of implications that could have, uh, and then obviously the Twitter uh, Elon fiasco and how uh, lovely that looks. Oh yeah, it's a disaster, <laughs> but that's what we're here for. All right, well again. Thanks to everyone for listening. If you need anything, Craft Advice Podcast at Gmail. Shoot us a note on that, Sean. Cheers. Adios. Adios, everybody. Jack and Sean work for Sench Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Sench Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Sench Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.